You're listening to The Bookstore and Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to season five of The Bookstore and Podcast. My name is Tegan and I'm your host. On this episode of the podcast, author Alex Sarkis joins me to talk about her debut novel, Something Blue. We have an awesome chat about her writing process, her inspiration, and of course, her new novel, which is now available in stores. This is a completely spoiler-free episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Alex, and welcome to the Bookstore in Podcast. This is episode one of season five. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. You are my second ever author and the first author of 2022. So hopefully um, you like that honour that's been placed on you. Oh my God, I do. I feel very privileged. Thank you. (laughs) I'm looking forward to having a chat to you about something blue and um, I hope you are too. I am very much looking forward to it. I always start my podcast with an icebreaker question and I thought something that would be appropriate to ask you is what is one book that you always recommend to people? Um, One book. One book that I always recommend to people is um, Trent Dalton's Boy Swallows Universe. Um, I just feel like that book is incredible. There's something in it for everyone and it it almost covers like five different genres in, in one book. So it, it really, it's, it's great to recommend because whatever you're into, you'll find something to like about it. And the thing that I like most about it actually is that um, even with all of that going on, it still feels real and, and true to life, even with, you know, those threads of, of magic and intrigue that run throughout the plot. So, and also just his, his descriptions as well of, you know, normal suburban landscapes and whatever. He's incredible. So that's a book that, that I recommend a lot. Actually, I got partway through the book and I couldn't continue with it, but I did see the stage show of it last year. (laughs) Okay, how was the stage show? Because I've been very curious about that. It was fantastic. Like, I absolutely love seeing it come to life on stage. It was very well done. So why couldn't you get through it? Was it just a bit dense, like a little bit too dense for you? Or Yeah, I think the, like, the little, like, magical realism throughout I sort of struggled with. Um, Okay, yeah. That really appealed to me. That's interesting. But yeah, I, I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. But I like, I completely, I, I like the story in the sense of what it teaches you and the fact yeah. that it's also based in Brisbane. And as someone who's uh, speaking to you from Brisbane yes. right now, it's very yeah. rare we get a book set in Brisbane. So I did like those little elements of it. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a book that many, many people do love and it, it, you can see why. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I liked it. But yeah, not everything's for everyone. My God, I hope I don't recommend you a book you hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here to talk about your book. But before we do that, I want to get to know you just a little bit more. And one of my favourite elements of your story, Something Blue, is that uh, your lead character has to has to collate um, a group of photographs about herself that capture who she is without necessarily showing who she is. So I thought a good question for you would be, what are three photographs that you could take that capture who you are without showing yourself? Um, That is a very good question. And one would think that I have thought about this quite a lot over the past few years. I I haven't actually, but... Um, I think the three photos that 
that I would choose is the first would probably be of my family. Um, the second may be my bookshelf at home. And um, the third one I think would be just the, um, the city skyline of Sydney, but maybe in the evening because I'm a bit of a night owl and I just love being in the city at night. So probably those three photos um, if I had to pick. Lovely. I definitely think a bookshelf would be one of my three as well. <laughs> Yeah, I feel it gives, a, it gives away a lot of secrets about someone. Yes, especially people who uh, don't tend to keep the books they don't like. Um, otherwise, yes. you get a bit of a bum steer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what inspired you to write Something Blue? I think the biggest thing that inspired me to write Something Blue and probably the most obvious thing is just, you know, Sydney. Being, being born and raised in Sydney, um, it's it's always struck me how much untapped potential Sydney has in terms of storytelling. There's so many interesting stories and characters that are that are in Sydney. And in my experience, um, I don't really feel like with contemporary fiction it gets the limelight it deserves. So that was that was one of my aims when I was writing Something Blue was not just to write about Sydney um, as as a setting or a landscape, but to write about it as almost a character in its its own right. Um, so, so that was really important and really special to me. But another, another big motivator to write this story was also that um, I didn't really see much else out there like it in terms of how it, you know, represents a time and a place and a community in, you know, just a genuine heartfelt way. Um, the Lebanese Australian communities, obviously it's spoken about quite a bit and not, not always in the best ways. Um, and that's not to say the book doesn't touch on that. It, it covers the good, the bad and the ugly of, of living, being Lebanese and living in Sydney, but it, it does that with a lot of affection as well. Um, so those were probably my two main inspirations behind writing this book, just, just Sydney at large and also my, my own community. I think you've definitely met your own brief because uh, Sydney certainly comes across as a character and you definitely reveal a lot about Lebanese-Australian community within Sydney as well. So give yourself a big tick for that already. <laughs> oh, great. That is a relief. Perfect. <laughs> I'm always super curious to ask authors about their writing process because it's something that is so diverse uh, depending on who you chat to. So can you give me a little glimpse into your writing process? Um, mine, I don't know if this is going to be disappointing or not. I mean, mine wasn't overly sophisticated because um, I, I started writing this book pretty much as a hobby. It was something that I did when I was bored, especially for the first maybe two years that I was writing it. Um, so I was very on and off with it. There wasn't much rhyme or reason to what I was doing. It was more a way for me to sort of get past my writer's block and basically write a story about something that I knew would come naturally to me because obviously I'm, I'm from Sydney. So it wasn't too much of a stretch. Um, but when I did get the plot uh, all down in like more or less complete, from that point onward, I decided I needed a bit of help. So I signed up for a, a six month workshop and that was fundamental in um, helping me develop the story and just getting it to be as good as it could possibly be. And as well at that point, I actually hadn't let anybody read it. So I sort of jumped into the deep end and it was, it was very daunting, but it was crucial because I was able to get all this constructive feedback and, and basically go from, from there with the story. But 
In terms of planning, probably one of one of the major things that I did on my end was um, um, basically keep like an Excel spreadsheet of the, the timeline of the plot because it's essentially just a two-month snapshot of the of the main character's life. So you're dealing with a very finite time period and it's also set in a very specific time and place. So you have I had to do that to keep track of the days of the week and what she was up to and also sort of real life events that were happening in the country at the time, even footy games and things like that, I had to make sure that they all lined up uh, pretty much perfectly to what she was doing so that, you know, I just had that, that extra level of authenticity and, you know, it was accurate. So that was something I did on my end in terms of planning. But, but other than that, in terms of like character arcs and things like that, um, that was something that I think was just developed over time through my drafting process, you know, just just writing and writing and writing and getting feedback and seeing what was working and then slowly moulding these characters. And then essentially once I had established them in my own mind, they more or less wrote themselves in certain scenes because you, you would know what they would or wouldn't do or would or wouldn't say. So from there, um, that kind of stuff developed. But overall, no, no real sophisticated like mind mapping or anything like that. Just, just uh, went, went with my gut on a lot of things. It sounds like there's a really good blend of things as well. Like you had the planning of the Excel spreadsheet, but then yeah, knowing and the familiarity you had established with your characters as well, like a good blend, good layering of it. So yeah, yeah awesome. Exactly. And good yeah. advice for people who are interested in writing to get involved with the writer's workshop and that it doesn't have to be such a solo activity. A hundred percent. You do feel a little bit introverted as a writer and, and especially if you're a first time writer, you can be quite shy about what you've done because you actually don't really know if it's good or not. And, and it can be scary, but honestly, um, I will recommend it to anybody. I think it's, it's just crucial. And especially because in those workshops, you get such a mixed bag of people there that you can really tell whether your story is going to appeal, who it's going to appeal to, if it's going to appeal to, you know, readers in general, or if it's going to be a bit more niche or whatever it may be, it's just, it's crucial to have that. So yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Certainly some good advice. Hey listeners, you may or may not know, but the Bookstoring podcast is purely a passion project fueled by a love of books. If you're enjoying this episode and want to show your support, why not shout me a coffee via Kofi? Or actually it would be a chai latte as I don't drink coffee. You can find the donation link in the link tree on my Instagram page or in the show notes. Okay, time to jump back into the book chat. So now we're going to move on to having a chat about your novel, Something Blue, uh, which is released July 6th here in Australia. Um, I personally love it when authors talk about the book themselves. So I'm going to ask you the big question. What is Something Blue about? Okay, I'll give you my, my little elevator pitch. Something Blue is about a, a young Lebanese woman named Nicole. She arrives at a crossroads in her life. Um, so she decides to pick up her camera and, and return to the melting pot of Sydney's West to rediscover her roots. Um, in doing that, she starts spending more time with her childhood friend, Danny, um, who, you know, makes his, makes his living in not good ways. Um, and uh, this, as their relationship sort of intensifies and evolves, this forces Nicole to, to sort of face some ugly truths about, or some hard truths probably, about herself and about the people around her. So 
yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Did I do a good job? Yes, way more <laughs> eloquently than I could have. <laughs> I have many quotes that I loved from your book. So a lot of these questions are going to be uh, connected to quotes. So here's the first one. Um, this quote in particular for me has encapsulated the theme really well of the novel and you can see it in many different facets of the novel as well. So here it is. Those were stories I wanted to know, the ones that make you see a persona more than just an outline of the space around them. So Nick really makes many discoveries about herself and fills in that outline uh, for us as the reader, but also for herself personally as well. And I think having any kind of self-discovery in any character makes a great um, cocktail for a story. So where did the idea of Nick as a character come from? So, I mean, obviously there are certain um, similarities between myself and Nicole. You know, I'm she's a young Lebanese woman born and raised in Sydney. I'm a Lebanese woman born and raised in Sydney. And, and like Nicole... Um, my beginnings are also out in Sydney's West. And there's, there's some other things too, some, some smaller common threads between her and I. But um, essentially, um, the inspiration for Nicole's character actually came from the many, many women around me who um, have sort of grown up um, with certain expectations for themselves or trying to live up to certain expectations from others, whether they be, you know, cultural or just from society at large. And they're not necessarily bad expectations, but um, just because of the way life pans out sometimes, they either don't happen for you as quickly as you thought they would, or they don't happen at all. Um, and so Nicole's character is supposed to, to represent that experience essentially. And, um, and, and, you know, by the way, that, that kind of angst about, you know, life or, you know, that I feel like everybody experiences that at some point, you know, whether they are single, married, you know, um, young, old, live here, live overseas. It's a very relatable experience. And that was, that was one of my main aims when I was sort of crafting Nicole was to make her um, a friend and an ally of the reader and um, to also, um, yeah, just just to to have her be as relatable as possible in the sense that she's not a perfect person, but I think what makes her so appealing or what I hope makes her so appealing is that she's, she wears her vulnerability quite well and she's also very honest about all her faults. She doesn't really pretend to be any better or worse than you know, what she is and she's open about the journey she's on. And I, I hope the reader feels comfortable um, experiencing that with her. I think that certainly is something that makes her relatable to a reader of any stage of life or any kind of cultural background, because surely if you haven't gone through it yourself, you know someone who has, where they've really come to that crossroads and especially towards the end of your 20s um, and yes. being a female and having that yeah. like, rug pulled out from under you at the end of a breakup or maybe um, a job failure or loss of job or like something like that. There's yeah. so many different ways um, that people can experience it. And I think uh, that, yeah, you've, you've wrapped that up nicely for Nick to be for, for people to uh, relate to her. Certainly. Uh, the book is set in Sydney, as you've said before, or Western Sydney, and it's a community that is clearly very close to your heart. 
how much of the book is based on your own experiences of place? And then does this actually make it easier or harder to write a novel? Okay, so um, how much of it is based on my own experience? Well, you know, first of all, I, I always like to lead with this because I've, I'm always worried that someone's going to pick this book up and think I've had this, you know, wild two months at some point in my life. Um, so to lead, all the, um, all the major plot points in the book are obviously 100% fictional. Um, but that's not to say that I haven't taken inspiration from stories around me or smaller experiences that I may have. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously it's, it's very inspired by um, even small things like little conversations I might hear or um, um, little personality traits from different people. You sort of take them and mash them up into a character. All of that is, is from my own, from just being alive in Sydney for as long as I have. Um, in terms of part B of the question, does it make it easier or harder? I would say it's probably both. It makes it, it makes it easier in the sense that there's not much research to do. You can just call upon your own, your own memories or your own knowledge. Um, everything's pretty much close at hand for you in terms of, for me, in terms of having written this story. Um, but it's harder in the sense that you know, a lot of the times throughout my process, I had to kind of like remind myself to just sort of detach from the plot and um, just prioritize good storytelling because I've I have this entire lifetime of you know um, various experiences in Sydney or whatever it may be. Um, you sort of run the risk of trying to inject everything that you've ever seen or heard or smelt or whatever and put it in this book. Um, and, and that's risky biz because you don't want to slow the plot down and you have to really keep, um, keep somewhat objective in terms of what's going to add to this story, what's going to keep the reader engaged. Um, so it, it made the editing process harder. I think that I ended up, my, one of my first finished drafts, I 30% of it. Um, and at the time I thought, everything about that was essential. And now I can't remember any of that 30%. I don't think that, I don't miss it at all. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but um, it, it, was, it, was, it, it was easy in all, in probably easier than harder, but yeah, it, it has its uh, highs and lows. I liked how so many of the scenes were really created in my imagination. So for example, the grocery store scene, uh, when she goes to take the, the photo of the, uh, like the shopkeeper. Um, and yeah. even from like, uh, you can just imagine what the shelves would have been looked like, would have looked like and the products. And yeah, so yeah. Um, it definitely, you can see where that real life inspiration has come from. Another facet of the novel that I enjoyed was the exploration of heartbreak and how heartbreak can be something that has a long shelf life, so to speak. And yeah. I think, um, especially when you're towards the end of your twenties, um, let alone later in life, the longevity of heartbreak is something that um, is really relatable. And I especially really marveled at this quote and resonated with it. Men, especially dads, are always looking for a quick fix. But heartbreak doesn't heal like the movies. It isn't a two-minute montage where you cry and drink wine and binge eat. 
And I thought that was really beautifully summed up. Like you think of a, a bunch of like Netflix movies or even yeah. a ton of different rom-coms where the heartbreak lasts for a chapter or two and then suddenly the character's yeah. over it and it's dealt with. So how did yeah. you ensure that the longevity of heartbreak was appropriately represented throughout the novel? This was a bit of a tricky one because I obviously didn't want her to just, you know, snap out of it for the sake of, you know, like just in an unrealistic time frame. But you also don't want your reader suffering through 300 pages of, you know, depression. It's not, it doesn't really make for, you know, entertainment. Um, but I think the way that I was able to sort of feed it through the plot and, and not have it hopefully be taxing on the reader is that Nicole herself is surrounded by, you know, such a vibrant cast of characters and there's so much going on that you don't really get bogged down. You more or less know that she's she's still sort of going through it day to day, but um, the characters around her and I, I feel also the humour throughout the book carries that. So... Um, that was one of the ways that I, I made sure I could uh, drag it on for an appropriate amount of time. And also I feel like with, with heartbreak and with writing about heartbreak and even just maybe experience it in, in your own life, I don't feel like the recovery is always like that, that perfect curve, you know what I mean, where you start off feeling really bad and then over time you just feel better and better. Sometimes you go through periods where you feel quite good and then you might have a moment where you relapse, which is something that happens to Nicole at some point in the book, you know, she, she has a bit of a moment. Um, so it wasn't something that was, you know, consistent throughout every page and every chapter, but I visited where I could to make sure that um, that was real and that people that have gone through that would be able to relate to her in terms of how long it actually does take to get over something like that, to get over a, a heartbreak and also a disappointment. So. Yeah. So apart from heartbreak, uh, there is also very much to learn about the Lebanese Australian culture and tradition through reading your novel. Uh, what new understandings or perspective do you hope readers walk away with about your culture after reading something blue? Um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of that in the book, you know, just in terms of, you know, food and faith and family and all those things that, um, are especially just in Arab culture in general is so important, so important to us. Um, and, and also that, that really, that sense of having a really close knit community, that's something that, um, you know, I hope readers enjoy reading about, but, I think more than anything in terms of um, what I would want them to really take away from the book is more about um, how the community is cast and, and how, I mean, one of my, one of the things that I did in the book and what I, for me, it was probably like I was a bit worried to do it because I didn't want to perpetuate any stereotypes. But at the same time, I thought it's probably better to not shy away from these stereotypes to actually include them because just because something somebody it's just because something is a stereotype first of all doesn't mean it's not accurate there's many people that fit the description of what a certain stereotype may be but my whole aim was to take a stereotype um, add as much to them as I could by way of you know showing that 
how layered these people are. And I think what I would like more than anything is just the takeaway message of, even if people seem to fit a certain stereotype and maybe an ugly stereotype, that if you dig deep enough, you can find something to like about almost anyone or at least to sympathise with. So um, that's probably one of the main, main things I would like to get across by the end of the book. And there were certainly a few characters embedded within the story that fit the stereotype. And then when you like peel back the layers, they've got this really um, awesome, like heart of gold um, yeah. behind them as well. And um, as someone who's been involved in so many weddings over the last few years, I really enjoyed the touch um, or the, I really enjoyed the tasting of a Lebanese wedding within the story as well. And that like pandemonium and a bit of mayhem and expectations that are also embedded within too. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Lebanese wedding is um, a breed of its own. It's really a spectacle. It's hard to go back once you've experienced the Lebanese wedding, you know, it's just <laughs> so entertaining and, and large, larger than life. So yeah, that was a must. That had to be in the book somewhere. So yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you liked it. It could almost be its own separate like rom-com book, like if you really wanted to blow yeah. it out more. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there's definitely room there for, for a Lebanese rom-com, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I've got two more questions and then we wrap up our interview. So first one is, where can listeners grab a copy of Something Blue? Um, well, they can grab a copy on July 6th, pretty much in, in all good bookstores is my understanding. But at the minute, you can pre-order it online um, through Booktopia, through Amazon, through Dimix. Um, I think Angus and Robertson as well, just, just all different types. You can definitely pre-order um, online at the moment. And do you have a hint on what you're working on next? Um, I am working on a few things at the moment. Um, another book based in Sydney, um, not just having one main character, but a few main characters this time, um, maybe a little bit older and a little bit grittier, but uh, still with that, that beautiful Sydney flavour that I, that I love. So I'm working on that. And I'm also working on something that's like a completely different genre. So it's a bit of a curveball. Um, but yeah, lots of good things coming up. And I'm just so excited for the release of Something Blue. I'm really excited for people to read it. And um, yeah, that's it. That's my whole plan moving forward. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Bookstore and Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Hold up. Before you go, here's a little snippet of what to expect in the next episode. <laughs> it's the lakes. It's the lakes. Oh, great. The lakes. Okay. Okay. Well, so, because you're on the edge of talking about it, go for it. Okay. So for the lakes, I have chosen if we were villains. So first of all, the reason I chose this one was about the song is about, you know, poetry and writing. And I feel like it has some like sort of dark academia moody vibes, which is literally what If We Were Villains is. So if you don't know, If We Were Villains is about a um, um, like an acting school. So there's like six characters and they all study Shakespeare. So they're literally obsessed with Shakespeare. Like the whole book is just Shakespeare quotes, basically. But um one night something terrible happens and half of that event and there is a lot of like um complicated relationships and things like that but the reason that i chose the lakes for the song is because if you've read if we were villains 
there is a theory at the end of the book about a lake and things like that. And I don't want to spoil it because I know you've not read it, but um, yeah, there's, it, it's just, it's the perfect, the perfect prompt to go with this book. So when you read it, you can like listen to the song as you're finishing the final page and you can just be like, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bookstorium podcast. If you've enjoyed it, show your support by following, subscribing, and rating the show wherever you listen, as well as sharing the podcast on social media. If you want to go the extra mile, you can shout me a coffee via Ko-fi. It's super easy to navigate and you don't need an account to donate. You can find the link in the show notes along with a full list of all the books and other media mentioned in this episode. Finally, make sure you head over to Instagram and follow my latest guest as well as my bookstagram at bookstorian underscore and podcast account at the bookstorian podcast.